Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. We're going to be continuing on in the book of Hebrews. We're now in week four, chapter four. Um, So that's worked out great. We're going to look at verses one through 11. So I'm going to go ahead and read those and we'll jump into it. It says this, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we have believed, enter his rest, in keeping with what he has said. I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from his works. And again in the passage he says, Then they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of their disobedience, he specifies on a certain day, today, he specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given given them rest, God would have spoken later, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Rest. Who would like some more rest? Rest is this amazing thing. Now, my kids hate it, right? At the mention of nap time or bedtime, they flee like a infestation of bugs when you open the door, okay? It's like, are you guys ready to get ready for bed? It's no, we're running away, we're screaming, we're not wanting to go to bed. But there comes a point in everybody's life where you hit this age where life has had its 
toll on you. You know, and I'm not saying this is old age, like it hits in your teenage years, okay? Well, there comes a point where a nap is a glorious thing, right? And rest is a fantastic thing. And we all would love more rest. And the truth is, this is nothing new. We know that sleep is good for us and lack of sleep is bad for us. There's a 15th century Italian lawyer, and I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try to say it, Hippolytus de Marcellus, maybe. And he is said to be the first one to document sleep deprivation as a way to punish prisoners. Okay, This is the same guy that came up with the slow drip method of torturing people, right? So like this guy knew how to torture people, all right? And start on a good note this morning. <laughs> now, but he, all he did was make formal what humans have known for centuries. Not getting enough sleep is really painful. And 27% of adults say they have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep most nights. And that's 27%. But 68% or an estimated 164 million Americans struggle with sleep at least once a week. I, as an adult, have about, I'm about, I'm about there. Well, maybe once a week I struggle with sleep, but I know many that struggle nightly with sleep. And the truth is, sleep is vitally important. We all need an adequate amount of sleep. The good news is, Studies have now shown it's not necessarily the eight hours that we learned in school, okay? There's a a doctor, Nathaniel Watson, says it's okay if you wake up in the middle of the night as long as you fall back asleep. And you need as much sleep as, this one hurts me, okay? A A good amount of sleep. You need as much sleep as it takes for you to stay awake and alert the next day without caffeine. I'm... I'm not going to test that one, okay? Most people, most people, this is from that same doctor, most people don't function well with less than seven hours of sleep, but it is not necessary that everybody must get seven hours. Continued sleep shortages can contribute to depression, heart disease, lowered immunity, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and many other illnesses. So sleep we know is important, but why are so many people not getting enough sleep? Well, a study from Gallup, Gallup does a, a, a study on the work week annually, and one of their recent ones, not the most recent, but one of the most recent one that I could find, they, it was the longest work week in the history of this survey. Uh, they recorded that a 17% of U.S. adults now log 60 or more hours per week in the office, which... Yes, leaves less time for sleep, but that's not necessarily what cuts into the sleep time. What cuts into the sleep time means that there's long, longer work hours means there's, and longer commute leave less time for regular old everyday chores, right? Paying bills, doing repairs, cleaning the house, doing paperwork, filling out the taxes, taking care of the kids, all that stuff gets piled on and pushed later and later and into the twilight hours, not to mention modern day habits that many of us have, like staying up too late to entertain ourselves with an electronic device, or (laughs) research shows that the blue light that is on our phones actually keeps us awake and lowers the body's production of the, the chemicals and stuff that help us fall asleep. There's also, um, anxiety and worry and fear that we all deal with. So how do we get rest in all of this chaos? We know we need it, but how do we get it? The the truth is, 
there are certain self-help things that you can apply to your life that will help you get more sleep, right? There's certain practices that you can implement. Drugs are fine, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Didn't know I was going there, right? Many people, many people take Ambien and things like that that allow, allow us to sleep, that are prescribed by a doctor. But the truth is, those drugs can be very dangerous. They have side effects. They can make, you can become dependent and very easily abuse them. But it's okay if you need them and you take them with care and under supervision of a doctor, all right? There are also some practical things that you can do, like uh, getting the right mattress, or they have all kinds of fancy pillows now. Just watch TV for like 10 oh, minutes, yeah. okay? They got square pillows, round pillows, purple pillows, pillows, okay? You can get the right pillow and the right mattress. And the truth is there's been research done on those things. Some of it is just marketing. It doesn't really help you that much more. But there are some practical things that you can do, like getting a comfortable mattress, things like that, that will help you sleep. Um, habits, like charging your phone in another room, cutting off the electronics by a certain time, getting an old-fashioned alarm clock to help you wake up instead of depending on your phone, stop drinking caffeine late in the day, all right? So there's, there's things you can do that will help you rest, that help you get more sleep. And the truth is, all truth is God truth, okay? So listen to your doctors, listen to people who are who, scientists who have studied this, who've done these things. They can tell you practical ways to get more sleep. But that's not what Hebrews gets at when it's talking about rest. Hebrews begins talking about rest, but when the writer wrote this book, they didn't know anything about special pillows and mattresses, okay? They didn't know anything about the ambient or a zero-gravity mattress or a purple pillow that lays your head perfectly right. They had a different frame of reference. And so when this author dives into rest, the author, the Hebrews, takes us through a sequence of three different types of rest. And I think when we go in and we study and we look at this, the highlighting of these three different types of rest, it will allow us in our everyday life to practically find more rest in our lives. The first rest that the author talks about, we see in verse 4, um, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. The first rest we see is God's original rest. This was God's original intent. The author immediately takes us back to the Genesis story. For the sake of the time, I'm not going to go back and read all of Genesis 1 and 2 to you, okay? But if you go and you look at the two separate accounts of original creation in Genesis 1 and 2, you see this pattern. You see land is created, and then it is to be ruled by the birds and the animals. Then you, then you see that the water is created, and it's to be ruled by the fish of the sea. Then you see that the, all of thing, everything on the last day is created, so then God creates man and woman to, be, to have authority and rule over everything. And then it says, on the seventh day, God rested. And there's this sense of when God rested, it wasn't this sitting back idly on his lounge chair. It is an emphasis on another ruling. You see these stages of, of a creation being ruled by something. Creation, creation being ruled by something. Creation being ruled by something. So God begins to rest in his ruling over creation. It's kind of like 
Like uh, if you were to create a boat, if, I don't know if you guys ever did. Okay, as a little boy, we found fallen logs and we said, we're going to make a boat out of it. Okay, so I never was successful. But if you think about people who have created a boat, they, they get the wood, they build the boat, or they have this giant log and they carve it out. And you're finally, you spend all this effort and energy working to build this boat. What do you do? You put it in the water and you ride on it. You rule over the boat. The rest is not sitting back and looking at the boat. The rest is participating in being on your creation, ruling over your creation, okay? It's a loose illustration, but you get what I'm saying. This is what the author is saying. There's this sense of of resting in God's authority, and that's what happens in the original creation story. That's the way everything was intended to be. The way that we ruled and the way that we lived, it came out of rest. It came from rest. We didn't live into rest. We lived from rest. We see that with Adam and Eve. When they were first created, they didn't immediately go in and start doing all this thing. They were under God's authority, and that brought them rest. So the, the difference is we live from rest, not for rest. When we work from rest, this means that we're not just striving to the next time to relax. Okay, Lauren and I, you guys know, we were out of town this week. We had a week of vacation, right? Great time for resting and relaxing. And that's a lot of times how we set up our work life, right? We work and we work and we work till we get to that point where we can take that vacation and we relax and it's great. Well, our vacation Sunday or Saturday night into Sunday, Avery got the stomach bug. So we left a day late. So we let her get completely better. Then we went to North Carolina. We left on Monday. We got there Monday night. Tuesday was great. Tuesday night, I got the stomach bug. All right? It was great. On vacation, I spent Tuesday night to Wednesday night absolutely miserable. Okay? It was, it was hot. It was tiring. I, the girls were all going out, having fun, doing their thing. I was sick. It was not fun. Then the next day, The girls are all out. They've gone out with some family. I'm staying in the cabin. I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but not quite there. And then I notice that I just start getting really hot. And I'm like, what is going on? And I go up and I check, and the air conditioning is blowing hot air. So we're in a family house, and the AC breaks. So we're on vacation. We're three days in. One day's been fun. The second day I was sick. The third day we had no AC, okay? Now... We were only planning to stay at this particular house for three days. So that part of the trip was over, and we got to go stay at other houses. We had a great time. It was a great vacation. I don't want to give off the vibe like it wasn't fun. But so often we find ourselves in that place where we're living for that rest, and life will always happen. And you get to that point where you're finally going to have that rest, and it's like it's taken from you. So we spend day after day after day striving for that next moment when we can find rest, and it never happens. The point I'm trying to make is life is so much better when we lean into God's original intent and work out of rest. We let rest be the starting point, not the point we're reaching for. So to make, break it down practically, it's like this. Take that day off. You have PTO at work or you've got a chance to get away, do it. That, that It can no longer wait until everything in our life is finally running smoothly to have some time off. We need to make that day a non-negotiable in our life. 
Get the sleep, all right? You need as much sleep as it takes to live the next day without caffeine. Remember what the doctor said, okay? So make sure you're getting that sleep. Take the day off. Get the sleep. Find that hobby. Working from rest includes rediscovering and re-engaging in activities that maybe you've abandoned or told you yourself that they weren't worth it because they weren't useful or productive. J.D. Walt says this in his book, Sabbath Keeping. It says, there is a life-sustaining power in consistently doing the things we enjoy, regardless of how useful or productive they are. Don't wait until retirement to pick up that craft, that hobby, that sport, or that, that replenishes and renews the spirit. It's not that we don't have time for what we enjoy. It's that we haven't made time for it. Fight for what it takes to engage in activities that renew you. All right, the big thing I'm thinking about here, I had a conversation with a family member that loves to play video games. I'm not into video games, okay? It's just, I used to be, um, but it was, I was going to fail college, so the Lord redeemed me from that, okay? I'll spare, spare you that story, but my Xbox broke, and it was sad, but great at the same time, okay? But there's this, I've, I've heard pastors from the pulpit scream at young men for wanting to play video games and just belligerating, whatever the word is, I lost it, okay? But just absolutely destroying young men for wanting, and listen, if video games take up your whole day, you should probably hear that, man, okay? They should not take up your whole day. But if you need an hour in the afternoon where you've got everything and you've got time to kind of separate, read a book, play a video game, I don't care. Find a way to find something that renews you and brings you rest, even if it's TikTok. And TikTok is the devil, okay? No, but whatever it is, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is your rest is so important, that we have to realize that there's certain things that we fill our time that try to entertain us, that's not good. But if we can find something that renews us and brings us rest, and that rest allows us to live in God's authority into the rest of our life, we're no longer striving for a rest in the future, but the rest becomes the starting point, and that's what allows us to lead into a productive life. See, Adam and Eve, they had that structure. They were being productive. They were developing the world. They were living under God's authority. But then one day came and they decided they didn't want God to be in authority anymore. And they wanted themselves to be in authority. They wanted themselves to rule. And when they stepped out of God's authority and stepped out of God's ruling, that's when they left the rest. They left God's original intent, and we've seen the destruction happen all throughout Scripture and all throughout the history of time because people from then on have been striving for this something, striving for this moment of achievement or this moment of rest, and they haven't got it because they've been trying to do it all on their own, and it's crumbled beneath them. We have to start from being under God's authority and letting that living from rest rather than trying to get to rest. Now, the author of Hebrews breaks this down by looking at Joshua's story. And so I want to do the same. We've talked about Joshua's story recently. I'm not going to go recap the whole thing. But this is what, this is what Hebrews says in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So he references Joshua, and when Hebrews points to Joshua, the author is actually highlighting the fact that some people got to enter God's rest and some did not. And this is significant. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. But first, we got to know what he's talking about when it mentions 
uh, the rest that Joshua delivered them into. The author uh, multiple times here quotes Psalm 95. And so in order, we're going to understand what the author means by the rest that Joshua delivered into. We too must go to Psalm 95. So if you want to, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's 11 verses. I love the Psalms. So we're just going to read all of it. Okay. It says this, verse one, Psalm 95, one says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depth of the heart, the death, depth of the earth are in his hands, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as as they did at Meribah, as on the day of, at Massa in the wilderness. For your ancestors tested me. They tried me. Though they had seen what I did for 40 years, I was... For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts have gone astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not rest. So you heard those, those voices that were echoed from our text today, and then we hear it now. He swore in his anger that they would not enter his rest. So we've got this, this outline here, this frame of reference that we're working with. Is there a time that we know of, and we think about the story of the Old Testament, the story of Scripture, is there a time where God's people were called into some kind of rest, and they had a history of God being a deliverer, but then they lacked faith in him and were forced somewhere for 40 years, but then Joshua later led the next generation into rest. You guys know what story we're talking about, right? This is the wandering of the wilderness for 40 years, and they enter into the promised land. That's right. So the promised land is the rest that God is talking about here. And and what the Hebrews is saying is that there are some people who missed out on the promised land because God had called his people to enter the land, but because of the giants and the report from the spies, they were too afraid. They didn't put their trust in God. They were, they were resisted at best, but most likely refused altogether to go to where God had called them into this great rest because they lacked faith. And then they were forced to wait until that whole generation passed away. And then Joshua led the next generation into the promised land where they found that rest. And what did they find when they got to the promised land? What was so promising about it? It had all kinds of resources. Think about how they wandered through the desert for 40 years. Many times they were grumbling because they were hot or tired or thirsty. They didn't know where their food was going to come from. And then God provided manna and they were forced to eat the same thing every day over and over again. There's this anxiety that comes from a a lack of resources, of wandering, not knowing where we're going. They enter the promised land and there's resources. There's a story of of people carrying giant grapes, I don't know why there's giant grapes, but there's giant grapes that they get to access. They no longer have anxiety about whether God's going to provide, whether they're going to have what they're going to need. They're not worrying about where their next meal comes from or whether they're going to eat the same thing every day. They have victory. They come up against these peoples who are giants and scary, incredible obstacles, but they have victory over those things. They have successful rhythms of life. 
The promise of the promised land was rest. And the rest was not idle hands, but it was rest in the fact that they could stop wondering. Finally, at last, they could stop wandering the desert after 40 years. And they can enjoy this new period of settled life with all of its opportunity to develop culture, develop agriculture, to, to create trades and occupations of all different kinds, and to build homes and communities. They built an, a, an entire civilization in this promised land of God's people. Their rest came through obedience. And that obedience led to productive work. Living from rest instead of for rest leads to a more productive life. So often we neglect rest because we want to accomplish the next thing. We want to be more productive. We want to reach that goal. But what Hebrews is getting at here is that the rest doesn't come from that achievement. The rest comes from obedience. And when we live in obedience to God's authority, the productivity that we seek with all of our energy draining everything we have, that, com- that flows naturally through God's provision. So we can't get through by working. We can't find rest by doing everything we can and trying to strive and achieve. It only comes through surrender. Surrender and obedience, and the beautiful part of surrender and obedience is it naturally leads leads into productive, life-giving work. And this rest was not just for the the Old Testament. It wasn't just for the, the Israelites as they walked into the promised land. This promise of rest is for you and I today. It's really interesting when you get into the Greek in this passage in Hebrews, it uses the word Joshua here. Now, if you have access to a King James Version or some of the older versions, you can go and it actually might use the word Jesus. And the reason this is, <coughs> is because in Greek, Jesus and Joshua are spelled the same. And so the writer of Hebrews knows this and does it on purpose. It wants the reader to say, think back and say, oh yeah, Joshua delivered the people into the promised land. But you know what? Jesus is the hope we have now. He, the, the author has just spent three chapters about talking about how great and mighty Jesus is. So now we have this picture where the author is leaning into this on purpose and he wants us to know that just like Joshua led God's people into this unlimited resources, led God's people into this victory, led God's people out of anxiety and wonder and wandering, it led Jesus leads us into that same life now. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are placing our surrender to God and Jesus is the one that provides that anxiety-free life. Jesus is the one that provides that abundant resources. Jesus is the one that gives us the rest. It starts by surrender surrendering our life to Jesus. He paved the way. Just like Joshua led the people, Jesus leads us. So we have this original rest that God had for everything. We saw humanity ruin that rest, but then Jesus comes back and redeems redeems rest and brings it back. So now we have a present rest in him. So there's original rest that it looks like. Now we have a present rest for us. And that comes only by surrendering to Jesus. Joshua provided it for God's people and Jesus provides God's rest to us now. But then something interesting happens in the text. For some, it says that he's talking about this Joshua, Jesus wordplay thing. And people are thinking about, okay, yeah, there's this time, this rest that's been provided. And then it says Before it gets there, it leads with this discourse about David. 
It says that he specified speaking through David for such a long time. For today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For, jo- for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not, spoke, would not have spoken later about another day. So we, we have this present rest, but it's saying that that present rest is not the, f- the final rest. That there's something in the future, something to look forward to. And so the author is pointing to a future rest. Saying even, why would the author talk about David all these years after Joshua had already provided the rest? And it's saying because there is a final rest. There's something that we still get to look forward to. There's something in the future that has not happened yet, but we get to hold on to it by faith, knowing that right now, that we can't see it, it might not be right there in front of us, but we know there is a future rest. And this is looking at when Jesus returns, when this is the second coming, when Jesus comes and he makes all things right, and there will be a final rest. There will be a stopping of working on our own. Now, this doesn't mean we're not going to advance. It doesn't mean we're going to just sit idly, right? We've already covered that. This means that we completely find all rest in him. There will be no more toil. There will be no more sweating, right? There will be no more pain and labor. It will all be because Jesus will make all things right. And there's this victory that comes when Jesus returns. And it's something we get to hope for and look for. And this brings incredible hope because, listen, I'm not naive. I know that that life is chaotic and hard, and many of us know we need more rest, but there's this sense of sometimes we strive and we try to do as much as we can, and rest just doesn't even seem possible. In those moments where rest doesn't even seem possible, as a believer and a follower of Jesus, we know that we have a future hope that we can hang on to, that one day unrest will be impossible because God will be on the throne. Jesus will return and everything we will do will come from this point of rest. That helps us carry through. This brings up worship in our hearts. This is the the verse on the screen today talked about how the Sabbath still remains for God's people. This is why the, even though that uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and they used to practice Sabbath on Saturdays and then it got moved to Sunday with the resurrection. There's the sense of God's people still stop and gather on Sundays because it's a chance to worship Jesus knowing that there's a future rest. We intentionally sit aside one day, all right, in order to find rest in worshiping Jesus. I love the way Billy Abraham says it. Worship releases the church to relax. It makes her aware that God is the primary agent in evangelism. It breaks the temptation to manipulate for worthy ends. It sets her free to meditate in the presence of God and his rule. We have a chance to fix our eyes on Jesus, even when it seems like there's no way to find rest. If we can find ways in our lives to get together and worship our creator. It's out of the worship and obedience to him that we have rest. I want to close with one story and one final point, and it's quick, okay? The story comes from John Wesley's life. This is a true story. Uh, John Wesley, the father of the Methodist church, he was born to an Anglican uh, preacher, his father, was a pastor for the Church of England. 
Um, he actually almost died in a house fire, but uh, was plucked from the fire. And you can read some of his story. He kind of uses this as a plucked from the fire to, to do evangelism, all that stuff. Okay, I'm not going to get into all that. I know too much about John Wesley. Okay, so, but there comes a point in his life. He's grown up now. He actually is a minister for the Church of England, and he decides he's, he's been at Oxford. He has a chance to do some more work at Oxford, and he actually refuses that to go be a missionary in Savannah, Georgia. And so there's this, he's, he's on this boat, he's going, and he has um, sacrificed opportunity to go be a missionary for the Church of England to, George, to Savannah, Georgia. So this is where John Wesley's at, right? And he's on this boat, and he happens to be on the boat with a group of people called Moravians. And as they're on their boat, which is how you travel in the 1700s, okay? So he's on this boat, and storms come up out of nowhere. And they are violent storms. There is uh, the extreme possibility <coughs> of all of them losing their life. The, the, it is terrifying, right? The seas are raging. There's parts of the boat are breaking. It's this terrifying moment. Uh, Wesley actually journals about it. So we have evidence of what he was thinking and experiencing in this moment. And he's terrified for his life, like genuinely afraid that he is about to die. And he looks around at the Moravian people and they are diligently working to keep the boat afloat, but they are singing hymns and they have this unbelievable peace about him. And Wesley is shocked. I mean, he's like, what is going on? He actually goes to the Moravian people. He says, are you not afraid? And they look at him and and they say, afraid, for we know the one who makes us not afraid. He is Jesus, our Lord, the savior of the world. Do you know him? And John Wesley's like, do I? Yes, I'm, I'm literally on a boat about to die to go be a missionary. Of course, I know. And then the Moravians look, they kind of, in my own words, are you, are you sure? <laughs> Why are you so afraid? We, we are not afraid. We know him personally. Yes, you know him as a church of England, but do you know him personally? And John Wesley was forced to sit back, self-examine and say, you know what? I don't know that I do. So he comes over, he's in Savannah for about three years. He has a, a mission, he's a missionary, um, largely unsuccessful. Imagine trying to be a missionary without actually knowing Jesus as your personal savior, but that's what John Wesley was doing, right? He thought he, he, would, he had done all this work and labor to be a missionary for the Church of England, and he thought he had done everything he needed to do. He had checked all the boxes, he had worked really hard, and he was extremely unsuccessful. So after three years, he returns to England, and he finds these Moravians. He's had some relationship with them in the States, but he goes back and he finds this group, and it's actually at a gathering of the Moravians where they're reading um, a thing from Martin Luther about a section of scripture. And John Wesley writes the story of his heart being strangely warmed, right? And he's strangely warmed. And in that moment, he realized that he knew that Jesus was his personal savior. He knew in that moment, he had the assurance of his faith in Christ. This whole story is not just to look at John Wesley, but to look at the Moravians. They were on that boat, should have been scared for their life, Yet they had rest and peace enough to sing and worship King Jesus. And through that peace and that rest that they had in that moment, 
John Wesley, with all of his accomplishments, that was his moment. That was the moment that sent him on the trajectory of knowing Jesus as his personal Savior. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 1 and in verse 11 says this, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. John Wesley did not have the rest that the Moravians had. And the writer of Hebrews says all this information about rest. Want you to look at God's original intent. Want you to look at the rest you have now in Jesus. Want you to worship Jesus and think about the rest you have in the future and let that fill you with hope. And then there comes this question. This exhortation, don't miss the rest. Don't miss the rest. It comes from Jesus alone. It comes from God alone. There's nothing you can do to get yourself there. There's no amount of striving, no amount of planning, no amount of prepping. There's nothing you can do that can get you in that rest. By It comes only by complete surrender to Jesus. It's when you follow him that you live out of rest and it will change your life. It changes the way you, you look at the world around you. It changes the way you face the work that is set before you because your rest does doesn't come from anything you can achieve, any way you can protect yourself. Your rest comes from God alone. You have to get that weight off of your shoulders. It doesn't depend on you. It all depends on God. And this brings rest for every situation you face. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what turmoil or what mountain you think that you have to climb or what valley you find yourself in, the rest comes from God. It's not up to you to get out of that. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the provider. He is the one that we worship. It's all in Jesus. And the writer is saying, do not miss that rest. Hold on to your faith. Live out of obedience to him. That's how we access it. So don't miss it. Surrender and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have rest in you. I pray that as you guide us and nurture us and you call us into obedience, that we would listen and we would obey and we would stop striving for rest, but we would find it in you and then we would live from that rest. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.